I love a good story. I love a good story. I love to watch a good movie that unfolds. I hate to waste time with a movie. As a matter of fact, this week I tried to watch a movie that some folks here at the church recommended to me, and I just got to tell you, for me, it was a yawner. I was like, come on, get with the story already. Have you ever been like that with a book or with a movie? And I just I couldn't bear the pain any longer, so I pulled out a good book and began to read it. But I love a good story, and that's what I love about the Bible is it's this wonderful collection of stories that are meant to inspire us, encourage us, give us history, but give us counsel for how we live our lives. And God's story of creation begins with a marriage. It is so important that we recognize that because there's very little detail given to us. There's enough for us to know what happened, but there's very little detail given to us about how God spoke the world into existence. But that first relationship of marriage, the Bible is full of stories about marriage, even ending with the marriage supper of the Lamb. I hope that you're going to join me for midweek services as I'm teaching on the book of Zechariah. Jesus quoted from Zechariah more than any other prophet in the Bible. It's a very small book. It's the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. You find it all the way through the book of Revelation, and it's a book about foretelling and foretelling, foretelling where there's prophecy about the future and foretelling where God speaks to us about how we live our lives now. But all through the Bible, right down even to Zechariah, you'll find this creation story of marriage. Recently, I read a story from a pastor friend who performed a wedding for a motorcycle couple. Now, when I say a motorcycle couple, I don't talk about the Sunday cruisers who come to Woodland and have your nice tricked out Harley Davidsons and Hondas, but I'm talking about a couple that had come to know Christ. And, you know, they were typical hell's angels type, but they had both come to know Jesus, and they asked their pastor, they said, will you preach our wedding for us? And, and he, of course, agreed and counseled with them, and they said, now, it's going to be a different kind of wedding. We don't want to have it at church. We're going to have it in a garden, and everybody's going to come on their motorcycles. Well, he was not knowing what to expect, but when he got there, there was the groom. He was in his leather and his chains and all of that stuff, all the tattoos all over him. And then there were all these motorcycle riders, and he said, they just looked at me like I didn't belong here. But the bride and the groom had told him, we want you to preach the gospel. We want you to tell the story of salvation. And so he had prayed and thought about, how can I communicate to this tribe of people I don't really know? He was so amazed that when the, the bride came down the aisle, all the motorcycles had lined up, and they were roaring their engines and cranking them up real loud. And as she passed each motorcycle, they would switch off their motorcycles as they had made an aisle until finally the last motorcycle was switched off, and she joined the groom in front of the minister. And... He looked at the groom, and he was just weeping, realized what a change in his life that God had made. And he preached the gospel, and to tell you what happened there is just absolutely amazing. How the story of the first marriage of Adam and Eve, and of how the story of God's love, and how that Jesus came and died for our sins, and that marriage is a picture of God's amazing love for us. 
And there were many motorcycle riders that crossed the line that day. Friends, don't you ever, ever underestimate the power of story nor the power of the Word of God. God's Word has a way of penetrating hearts like you've never seen before. Marriage is serious business with God. It's why Jesus, quoting from the book of Genesis in Matthew chapter 19, says, And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, and since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Jesus brought down the, the seriousness of marriage, that marriage is serious business with God, but marriage is not the creation of the state, nor is marriage the creation of culture, but marriage is the creation of God. Now, let me give you a little background because many of you are from a Roman Catholic background. Some of you in our church, you're from a very Calvinistic background. Most of us in here probably are from a Protestant background, but the Roman Catholics have always taught that marriage is a sacrament. To a certain degree, I agree with that, that it is a sacrament. It has nothing to do with saving us. That's where I disagree with the Catholics. On the other hand, the Calvinists, those of you that come from a Calvinist background, which I don't come from that background, but those of you that come from a Calvinist background, John Calvin taught that marriage should be that that was governed by the state. And so that's why you will hear me sometimes say, I don't often say it, but sometimes I'll say, by the authority of God and by the authority vested in me by the state of Michigan when I perform a wedding, or if I do it in Ohio or Georgia, I'll say that state. And there was this divide. And it was because of what Calvin taught that we came upon, the church then began to recognize divorce because prior to that time, because of the influence of the Roman Catholic Church, there was no divorce. Next week, we're going to look at what pulls us apart, what tends to separate us in our marriages. But this morning, let me just say to you that I see the wisdom on both sides. Marriage is meant to be a permanent institution, or not, that's not even the right word, a permanent covenant, a permanent covenant between a man and a woman, not two women, not two men. Now, the culture may say that, and government may say that, but that is not what the Bible calls marriage. The fact that two people love each other doesn't necessarily mean that God has called them into holy matrimony. Marriage is between a man and a woman, and once they are joined together in marriage, that's what the Bible would call, or what we would call, holy matrimony. However, when Calvin said that government needed to be involved in weddings, he was looking at, now this is important, he was looking at a form of government that was influenced by the church, not run by the church like the Roman Catholics had done. This is very important, so please don't get bored with this because this will help you understand how we've got to the place in our culture that we have. But that the government was influenced by the church and was assuming that governmental leaders loved God, trusted his word, and wanted to follow his word. Fast forward way into the future, it's why our laws and our constitution is built upon Blackstone's law, which was built upon Old Testament biblical law. 
But when Calvin said that, he recognized that there were at least two cases biblically that allowed for divorce. That was abuse or abandonment. Those two cases would allow for divorce. Those were the seeds that were planted that have led us to the place that we're at today where the church has had little influence in the culture on marriage and the government and culture has been trying to define marriage. If you believe in biblical marriage between a man and a woman, you are going against the flow of culture and you're going against the flow of the stream. And one of the reasons that I've entitled this The Knot is because that's what God designed marriage to be, to use the old word of the King James Version, that a man would leave his mother and father, a woman would leave her mother and father, and then they would cleave together. I love that, that King James word there. They would, they would leave and they would cleave and they would be one, like two ropes tied together with a sheep bend knot. The more you pull on it, the tighter it gets. Having said all of that, how many of you know and lift your hands if you do, and put a like on Facebook if you do. How many of you know there are no perfect marriages, but by the grace of God, there can be great marriages? Now, heart that or like that, however you do that on Facebook or YouTube. Let me say that again. There are no perfect marriages, but there are great marriages. I will tell you right up front, Becky and I do not have the perfect marriage but we have a great marriage. As a matter of fact, she came up to me this week. She put her arms around me. She says, I love it when you're going to preach on marriage. And I was like, hey, 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 I could do this 52 weeks a year. You know, marriage can be wonderful. It can be great. When a man and woman commit themselves to God, now this, is the, this is the key to a great marriage. When a man and woman commit themselves to God, and then commit themselves to one another, they invite the presence of a holy and an awesome God into their lives that makes all things possible. And a great marriage may be impossible with man, but nothing is impossible with God. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? No one, no one will ever improve upon marriage. No one will ever improve upon God's idea. No one will ever make it better. And I plead with you that are young and have not married yet, and those of you that I've counseled through almost 50 years of ministry and marrying so many couples, you know I've said this to you over and over. The key to a successful marriage is having God in your life and being willing to yield to what God says to you. Well, listen to what Martin Luther said. Whoever intends to enter married life should do so in faith and in God's name. He should pray to God that it may prosper according to his will and that marriage not, might not be treated as a matter of fun and folly. Now, when he's saying fun, he's not talking about not joy and pleasure. Folly is the key word there. It's a hazardous matter and as serious as anything on earth can be. Therefore, we should not rush into it as the world does in keeping with this frivolousness and wantonness and in pursuit of its pleasure. But before taking this step, we should consult God so that we may lead our life to his glory. Amen. Martin Luther, you know, was the great Lutheran reformer. 
But he was also the man who gave up the priesthood, married a nun by the name of Catherine. They had many children and a wonderful marriage and some of the most tender reflections upon marriage and home life that you'll ever read about are from Martin and Catherine Luther. You see, God created marriage for our partnership and prosperity. God created marriage so that we would have a partnership together, that we would find oneness and wholeness together. But he also created it so that we would prosper together. It's amazing in the story. Remember I told you that the Bible starts with a story about marriage. I mean, God speaks everything into existence, but then we get down to the apex of what he's created, and that's human beings. And first he creates Adam. And there Adam has to wonder as the animals come to Adam to be named. They, God supernaturally brings them to him. And I don't know why he named them the way he did. My guess is, and this is just a guess, he named them what he named them because that name kind of reminded them of what they're like. I mean, how else are you going to name a platypus? How else are you going to name a giraffe? And why is a cat called a cat? You know, there are just all kinds of things that you look at. But now, this may be a little coarse, so please don't be offended, but stay with me. As the animals came to Adam, Adam observed their behavior. He even observed their mating, and suddenly Adam came to the realization there was a huge difference between him and the animals. Not just by the fact that God had given him dominion and rulership over the garden, but the fact that there was a partnership, there was an intimacy, there was a unity. Now, remember this. This is important. This is before the fall of human beings. There was no beast tearing another lamb apart with its bare fangs. There was no law of the fang. There was no blood in the jungle. And so there was something unique about these animals as he watched them. And then when Adam had recognized his aloneness and that there was an incompletion, God supernaturally put him in a deep sleep. God did a surgery and constructed Eve from that rib from the side of Adam. And when she came to Adam... He goes, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, woman. And suddenly the Bible makes this most beautiful statement. They knew each other. They were naked, and there was no shame. Have you ever had one of those nightmares where you're out in public and you were naked and you were trying to find a place to hide? You felt that shame? Have you ever had one of your children embarrass you when you've got guests at the house? It happens to be the district superintendent of my case, and one of your kids comes streaking through the house and shakes their bottom and goes, shiny, honey. You ever had one of those moments in life? It's a part of family. And that little child does come in with no shame and wanting to get a laugh. Oh, what must it have been like, the intimacy, the communion. But God also wanted them to prosper, so he told them, this is yours. 
Enjoy it. I've created this for you. Be good, it's, 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 be good stewards of it. Take care of it in my name. I clipped an interesting article from Yahoo Finance that talks about how that married couples prosper so much more than single people do. As a matter of fact, the thing goes that married people, listen, amass, I'm going to read it, married people amass an astonishing 93% more wealth than single or divorced people do over a 15-year period. There's something supernatural that God does in a life bringing a couple together as they work as stewards to build a home for the glory of God, to build a home that is a municipality or a culture that expresses the kingdom of heaven and strengthens the church. I would say to you this morning that if you want to know unity and community with prosperity, you need to build your marriage upon the biblical foundation of the principles that God wants you to enjoy, that's filled with joy, filled with pleasure, filled with prosperity, filled with partnership, not perfect, but it can be amazingly great in the name of Jesus Christ. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? The Bible says, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply Fill the earth and govern it. Now let me take you to another verse of Scripture because this is the key that I want to lean into for what can pull us together. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, the Bible leaves for us these words, train yourself to be godly. Religious people aren't necessarily godly. Church-attending people aren't necessarily godly. You have to train yourself to be godly. The older you get in Christ, if you are training yourself to be godly, the more you want to spend time in fellowship and communion with the Lord. The more you want to walk and spend that day sharing that day with the Lord, talking to the Lord about the snow or talking to the Lord about the flowers or talking to the Lord about the challenge you're facing in your career or talking about the Lord about the project that you're working on. You see, the more you train yourself to be godly, then the more you absolutely, listen, the more you absolutely become more attractive to your wife or to your husband, and the more you become attractive to other people, this is what the scripture says, you will be like a, a city set on a hillside. Your light will shine. He will make, the Bible says, even your enemies to be at peace with you. That doesn't mean they're going to like your message. That doesn't mean they're going to like what you stand for. There are many people who disagree with me vehemently, but they're attracted and they want to spend time. For instance, this week someone called and says, could my wife and I take you and your wife out to dinner? We want to know and understand what makes y'all tick. My reply was, anytime anybody wants to take me out to dinner, the answer is yes. If you're buying, I'm going. <laughs> That's the Scotch-Irish inside of me. We just, yes, I'm ready. But I'm more excited about the opportunity for Becky and I to share what builds a great home. 
So what does it mean? How do you train yourself to be godly? First of all, focus on the inside. Now, I used a word while ago because I wanted you to be sure to get it. That's the word covenant. Marriage is not a contract. There are legal ways to break a contract. There are ins and outs of a contract. If you don't meet this or I don't meet that, if we don't satisfy the terms of the contract, then we can break the contract. Maybe the contract becomes null and void. But in a covenant, there's no such thing. That's the reason God demonstrated for us what covenant was all about when he passed through the halves of the sacrifice that you remember Abraham had said. God was saying to Abraham, if I break my covenant with you, may I fly apart. May I be shredded to pieces just like this sacrifice is. Covenant we enter into for a lifetime commitment. So how do we do that so that that becomes a joy? Let me just illustrate, and I'm not asking you if to give again or give more money. You can if you'd like. I'd be happy for that to happen. But giving for people who love the Lord is not a drudgery. It's a joy. It's a cheer. When people come to me asking me to give, I'm grateful that they think that I've been a good enough manager of my finances that I can afford to give and invest in what they're asking about. That doesn't mean I give to everything I'm asked to do, that Becky and I give to everything we're asked to do. But giving is a joy. It brings great pleasure. The best gift you can give, though, is not money. The best gift you can give to your spouse, your wife, or your husband is the gift of godliness. And godliness doesn't mean you go around all the time, praise the Lord, praise God, hallelujah. Godliness doesn't mean you go around all the time going, don't you wish I was, you were as holy as I am? I think there's some of you that walk maybe a lot closer with the Lord than I do in this room this morning. Godliness is the best thing you can give to your wife or your husband because when you're godly, you're loving, you're patient, you're kind, you're forgiving, you're giving, you're generous, you're self-controlled, you keep your word, you're a person, you're a man of promise or a woman of promise. When you're godly, it's the best thing you can give. No one, listen to me, no one is more affected by my personal ungodliness or my sin than my beautiful wife, Becky. No one is more affected by my ungodliness than my children. And no one is more affected in this community by my ungodliness than this church. And then because of what God has given me the opportunity to, to do, no one can be more affected by my ungodliness than this community. Becky, our children, this church, our community... You see, your godliness pulls you closer together, especially when two people are both working on living lives together to please the Lord. And what pleases God? That we love one another, that we encourage one another, that we exhort one another, that one another's names are safe in our mouth, that we live giving lives, generous lives, that we share the good news, that we open our homes so that others can be blessed by them. You know the list. Godliness pulls us together. I want Becky to confront me if I stray. 
I want her to say, I'm concerned about this attitude. I'm concerned about this behavior. She's the person that knows me best, better than anyone else in the world. I want my children to confront me. I want you to confront me if I sin. You see, to confront somebody in love, not to gossip about them, but to confront somebody in love and say, I will walk with you through this. Too often, the way we've treated confrontation with a spouse or with a child or with a family member is to condemn them and criticize them and talk bad about them. But Jesus said, not only that he came into this world to save the world, but he said, I did not come to condemn the world. Godly people are not condemning people. Godly people are gracious and generous and loving. Peter, in some of his marriage advice, now he's writing this to, to wives, but it applies to husbands as well. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles. Now, before I go on, some of you men are thinking right now, well, that doesn't really pertain to me. Listen, men can be as vain as a peacock. I love the way old Tim Allen, remember the show Home Improvement? He'd look in the mirror. <clears throat> I was preaching in a church one Sunday morning when that show was popular and the wife was just laughing. She says, will you do me a favor? I says, what? She says, my husband loves Home Improvement. And this morning he put his tie on, he stood there and he went, <clears throat> honey, you're married to a good looking man. Let me tell you something. When you travel and you're a guest speaker, you really don't worry about pleasing the pastor. You want to be sure his wife is happy with everything. And so I did that, and the congregation was laughing, and he took it in good humor. I knew he would. But men can be just as vain. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with beauty that comes from within, the unfailing beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. I want to tell you something. After a while, jewelry and clothes and houses, they don't impress anymore. But it's what's on the inside. So how do you do that? Number one, seek a clear heart. Seek a clear heart. In the garden, Adam and Eve knew one another, and they felt no shame. Adam knew everything about Eve. Eve knew everything about Adam. God knew everything about Adam and Eve. But suddenly when sin, now listen, this is important. This is the story of how marriage began, what pulls us together. When sin entered the world, it was because, please listen, this is important. When sin entered the world, it was because Adam and Eve chose to believe the devil rather than to believe God. And when they believed the lie of the devil, suddenly their relationship was broken. Sin clouded their consciousness. And we've been struggling with that problem ever since. And the only thing that can set us free is faith in Jesus Christ and the blood he shed for the forgiveness and the redemption from sin that you and I can have in him today. Hallelujah. It's the only way we can have a clean and a clear heart. They knew each other physically, but they knew each other intimately. But worship also pulls us together. 
There's something about being together with our wives and our children, lifting our hands, singing a song of praise to the Lord, giving God thanks. Prayer pulls us together. Oh, guys, let's be willing to admit it. We're always willing to hop in the bed with our wives, but most of us struggle with kneeling by the bed to pray with our wives. You see, prayer pulls a couple together. The more I learn to pray for Becky, then the more I can learn to be spiritually intimate with her as well. And then finally this morning, focus on understanding your wife or your husband. Focus on understanding your spouse. That's a challenge. That can be very, very difficult for us to do. I want to read these next few verses straight in a line together. And it's important that you listen carefully to get everything that's here. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. I want you to notice that phrase. Look in your outline, and if you'll put it back up on the screen, she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Now, you see, friends, we could read this and treat it very mechanical. Look at me. Don't miss this. We could treat this very mechanical, but the moment you bring God into the equation... She is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. God is intimately involved in your marriage. I don't want to bore you, but I want you to know God is intimately involved in every detail of your marriage. So your prayers will not be hindered. Next verse, Ephesians 5.25. For husbands, this means... Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. I mean, this really changes things in this whole deal of focus on understanding your wife. Nobody understands me like Jesus. Not even Becky understands me like Jesus does. Those things that I have learned to share with Becky more and more have come through years of worshiping and praying together. Recently, we were in Georgia for the Christmas holidays. <laughs> My family said, or Becky's family said to me, you know, we, there was three years that I lived on extra strength Vicodin because of the surgeries that I had. And they said to me, we miss you being on Vicodin. I said, what? Oh, you were wonderful on Vicodin. Suddenly I felt bad. I said, am I not wonderful now? <laughs> oh, no, no, you're great. But on Vicodin, you were always happy. You never had any weight on your shoulders. And you were all so transparent when you were on Vicodin. And those of you that were around in those days, sometimes I was too transparent. But I thought about that statement often, and I said, Lord, help me to live an open life. Help me to know what to share and not to share. Help me, Lord, not to live under the burdens of life, but cast all my cares upon you. Friends, nobody understands me like Jesus. No one understands you like Jesus. And the more you spend time with him, husbands, 
you will learn not to be demanding. Now, let me give you an illustration, and I know I'm running out of time, but please bear with me for just five minutes longer. Let's suppose I come in the house. Becky's got Bible study, and let's suppose I come in the house, and she leaves a note on the table and says, Dennis, I love you so much. I'm off to Bible study. And I look at the sink, and it's full of dishes, and the stove is covered in crusty stuff because the pot boiled over or something. If I've had a great day, and everything has gone swimmingly, and I've gotten all the things on my to-do list done, I might come in going, he's a great, big, wonderful God. And I look at that, and I go, you know what? I'm just going to roll up my sleeves. And I'm going to wash those dishes for her. I'm going to clean up that stove. I'm going to get it done. When she comes home, she's going to be so happy. If I've had a bad day and people have been difficult to deal with, nothing's going right, I might come in that house just, I can't wait to get home. I can't wait to see her. I want to watch the football game. And I see those dishes and I go, oh, why is she always doing this? I'm not cleaning that up. She made that mess. Do you see? The more you worship, the more you love God, the more he makes you aware of who you are, and the more he makes you aware of who your spouse is. Women, this also applies to you because the older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. So let me give you just a few things to follow upon this week. Sit down and talk with each other. Discover your spouse's likes and dislikes. Don't assume that because you've been married all these years that you automatically know this is what my wife likes. Becky is constantly surprising me. Now, let me illustrate it like this. And I, sh I remember sharing this with you years ago. I was reading a book about marriage by Lewis Smeets. Lewis was a philosophy professor at uh, Stanford University. He married a girl from my hometown, godly man, godly woman. Lewis said, just before he died, speaking to a, a class of students, he says, my wife has been married to five different men. He said, that's how often I've changed through the years. He says, the man she married, I no longer am. The man I was in my 30s, I no longer am. You see, we're constantly changing. And we have likes and we have dislikes. And so we have to stay in touch. And marriage is a continual discovery. Secondly, make a list of their likes and their dislikes. Don't assume you're going to remember. Your mind is not a filing cabinet. Your mind is not meant to hold information forever, but write it down. Put down what she enjoys. There may come a day before I die and go to heaven that I like cream cheese. I highly doubt it. My family would like it if I liked cream cheese. I would like it if I liked cream cheese because everybody else in the world loves cream cheese. But you put it in, it'll come right back out. It just won't stay in there. But we change. Here's the good news. God changes me, and I encourage her. God changes you, 
and you encourage your spouse. You don't discourage, you don't condemn, you don't criticize, but you ask God to work on you. If you come in and you're upset about the dishes, don't go criticizing your wife. Go to God and say, why does this bother me? Don't go, she does this all the time. And Becky doesn't, that's not why I'm saying this. If mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. <laughs> but go to the Lord and say, God, why is this troubling me? And if you come home and you realize, hey, I'm finding joy in doing this, then you know you're being more like Christ who washed the feet of his disciples and washes our feet every day. And then make a 30-day calendar for 30 days of how you're going. Can you imagine what it would be like when the month of February is over? And I know there's only 28 days, but make a month's calendar of how you want to bless your wife. Maybe go for a walk in the moonlight. Maybe take her out for a special dinner that she really likes. Maybe cook dinner for her she really likes it. Leave a love note before you go to the office or for the plant. Give her a back room. Wash her hair. I don't know. Do you like that? <laughs> As C.M. Ward used to say, you'll never, you, sometimes you just can't explain what you say under the anointing. <laughs> I wrote this down. I just made a whole list. I'll share them with you if you want them. Maggie Sexton is not feeling well today, but buy a wedding cake from Maggie Sexton and invite your friends over on your anniversary and just celebrate your marriage. Do something special. And then know and use your spouse's love language. And then finally, have fun together. Tim Hansel wrote these words. Play is a taste of the paradise from which we came, a foretaste of the paradise we will enter. Now wait, I hear you shutting your Bibles and your notes. Remember what I said in the garden. They knew each other. Adam had fun naming the animals. The animals played. Adam and Eve played. God was delighted. And I hear echoes of Eden when I read these words. Laughter doeth the heart good. A merry heart is like medicine. Enjoy this one and only life you have, the wife or the husband. And when your children leave home, may they say of you, my mom and dad told me the most beautiful story about marriage through how they live their lives. Would you stand with me? In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray his word over you. God who has joined you together and made you one in body, in soul, and in spirit. God who witnessed your vows to one another. God who blessed you and said, be fruitful, increase, be good stewards. May you sense May you see, may you taste, may you feel all the power of heaven as you touch the divine this morning. Just as the anointing of the oil 
is my way of bringing healing, just as the communion is my way of bringing you the knowledge of what happened for your salvation, and just as baptism is a symbol of your new life, may you recognize the sacramental aspect that God has made you one. And for those of you who have suffered or you're hurting from the pain of divorce or abandonment, may God mercifully comfort you. May God heal your broken heart. May God open your eyes and lift up your head so that you see that His promises are unchanging for you and their future remains. And for those of you that are single, set your hopes upon me. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all God's righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Do not be in a hurry, but wait, I say, wait upon the Lord. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. I love you so much. Have a wonderful afternoon today.